Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. The GM Shuffle, of course, is your home for great football talk, and we're going to do plenty of that. But i got to be honest with you, Mike. i got several texts, several tweets. People love the gay Talese conversation we had last week. So anytime you can sprinkle in some literary references, people are now reading Esquire. Frank Sinatra has a cold. They can't get enough of gay Talese, of course, your football knowledge. Well, I appreciate that. I can't get enough of gay Talese either. I mean, I was kind enough when I wrote Gridiron Genius. I sent him a, a manuscript. He read it, wrote me a lovely note back since we're both from the same city. And then he signed every copy of his books, Honor Thy Father, all of the books that he's written, he signed for me, which I really, truly appreciate. He was really, truly a generous man. And if you ever catch, if you really want to know about him, watch CBS Sunday Morning. That's probably online. They did a doc. They did like a little 20-minute clip of him, and it's fascinating. He wears this coat and tie every day to work, like Robert Caro. He has this office, he has this incredible brownstone in Manhattan that he works out of the basement and everything he puts is in boxes. So he's got all these boxes and he clips everything out. I mean, Al Davis would have absolutely loved this man because, you know, Al Davis loved things on bonded paper and he loved pictures. You know, he loved it like, like glue and pictures. If you gave him, he loved that, right? So, you know, he loved visuals. So it just, it's really a great story, but he, what a wonderful writer, but, you know, I could read Sinatra Has a Cold. The other one I think that I think people should read is Sinatra Can't Dance. It's by David Halberstam. It was in Playboy. And, and he talks about how Sinatra just looked awkward dancing. And it's a little bit like how <laughs> I kid Matt Patricia about having a pencil in the air and trying to be a rub off on Belichick. You know, like Sinatra never looked good in a leisure suit. Like, right. Sinatra never looked good with beads around his neck. Like, you have to have authenticity to who you are, right? As, and even right. as a football coach, even as a basketball, whatever coaching you're doing, it's got to be authentic. And when Sinatra wasn't authentic, it didn't matter that he was Sinatra. He still, people didn't buy into him. All right, seriously, Gay Talese and David Halberstam, uh, both those great writers would be fantastic to profile what's happening to the New York football giants because yeah, no after watching <laughs> Eli Manning get off to a terrible start, and you want to know how bad it was? Well, here's the numbers for you. Uh, 556 yards, okay, 6.2 average, completion percentage of 63%, but he's been sacked a couple times, hasn't been able to throw the ball down the field, only two touchdowns and two interceptions, and the Giants say enough is enough. You've won two Super Bowls, you're number seven all-time in passing yards, but Daniel Jones, the rookie, now gets the call. That means Manning will not be on the field as a giant starter just the second time, Mike, since November 21st of 04. I feel like we should sacrifice a goat just to celebrate because this was a decision you and I both felt should have been made sooner, as in the start of the year, because Eli shouldn't be a starter anymore. And honestly, I don't want to give credit to the Giants, but in this case, I will, because I'm like, you know, this, this was actually the right decision. You should have done it sooner, but... Yeah, Eli shouldn't be starting, and I don't think Daniel Jones is going to be great, but you drafted him that high, so give him a chance, right? I think we need to queue up Tom Hagan, and I think Ben McAdoo needs to sit next to Tom Hagan and say, you owe my man an apology. This man <laughs> deserves an apology. man." I mean, Ben McAdoo knew this years ago. Tom Hagan screaming in the background, you owe him an apology. It's finally <laughs> happened. You know, the two words I think that are the most offensive words in the human language are too late. Too late to recognize the problem. We were too late to recognize Hitler. We were too late to recognize Osama bin Laden. We were too late to recognize the tragedies that happened in this world. And I don't want, and those tragedies are, are reflective, but too late to recognize Eli Manning couldn't play. 
that's typically, if you're a general manager and, and you're sitting in your office, you should have a sign on your desk, I don't want to be too late. Bill Walsh used to say all the time, I'm going to get rid of a player a year too soon than a year too late. And I think the Giants not only are too late, they're three years too late. And my man, Ben McAdoo, he's entitled to a goddamn apology. He needs one. He saw it. He was in the building, and it's reliably reported to me. I don't talk to Ben McAdoo. You know I've made fun of the Cheesecake Factory menu for years. But it's been reliably reported to me that Ben McAdoo was on this campaign for years. AD, do you realize since that famous boat trip that you and I weren't invited on, <laughs> that this man, that this man is, is eight and 26? Can you imagine? I mean, that, that is, yeah, that's insane when you put out those numbers. Cause there's been a lot of talk now, Mike. Everyone's kind of, you know, turning this around and saying, like, okay, is Eli a Hall of Famer? Like, well, let's get to that in a minute. Like, let's focus on the immediate present. What you're pointing out is that this guy's usefulness expired long ago. Okay, yeah. like, yeah, is he going to be in the Hall of Fame? Great, congratulations. We'll deal with that and Canton later on. Bottom line is this. You cost yourself franchise. You cost yourself by sticking to this guy with loyalty. And you see this too often in sports. Teams stick with a guy long past his prime out of loyalty. You know, he's built the franchise. He did so much for us. It's all nonsense. Should have moved on sooner. It's way nonsense. In fact, it made me think when I was a fat kid here in Ocean City eating, eating cookies and watching games. You know, I, I remember watching the fumble in the Meadowlands. I remember watching the Joe Pisarchik era of the Giants. You know, they were horrendous, right? They were just absolutely horrendous. And so I looked up the 77 to 79 team, what, what their record was over that time frame. And it was their 17 and 27 during that time period. Eli over those two years, of the Joe Pisarchik era, which no Giant fan ever wants to hear about the Joe Pisarchik era, right? Mm -hmm. As of right now, Eli is 8 and 26 or something like that since that time. I mean, think about it. Pisarchik's dominating this guy. He's dominating this guy. And yet we think there and we hold with reverence, Eli, we have to bench him. Oh, it's so sad. No, wait a minute. If Bill Walsh were running your team, you know, I, I have to give credit to Bill Simmons of The Ringer. And I wrote about it in the book, and I credit him in my book, Gridiron Genius, shameless plug. It's coming out in paper book soon. I love it. Anyway, you know, what would Belichick do? What do you think Bill would have done if he were the general manager, head coach of the New York football giants? He would have fired Eli three, four years ago. I mean, this is why, and we're giving the Giants, oh, they finally did it. Like, we're, we're actually saying it. it would be like a doctor finally acknowledging that you have cancer, even though you're going to die six months later. You know, you know, like, couldn't you have done this three years ago? Couldn't, please? Yeah. I might have lived longer. That's why we call this segment Make Me Smarter, because the Giants right now, people want to give them props for making the smart decision. No, no, it was long past, long overdue. It's not it, making it, you smarter. And anybody who thinks, by the way, Mike, oh, could Eli get traded somewhere? Could he? I'm like, are you kidding? Who, who is going to trade for this guy? Right? Who is going to say, hey, you know what? He could be the star that would lead us to the playoffs. No way. No chance. I mean, I got a better chance to trade Bella for a first round pick than Eli for anything. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, who wouldn't want a Legoto? I mean, really, who's going to get this guy? It's just Twitter stupidity. You know what? Every time I read something stupid on Twitter, I think of Howard Stern. You know why? Because Howard Stern, I don't know if I told this story on the, on the GM shuffle before, but when Howard Stern, when the Pope was coming to Manhattan, Howard Stern sent Baba Bowie or one of those guys out on the street and he asked this question. He said, do you think it's fair that Man Blue Mayor Bloomberg's asking all the Jewish people to leave Manhattan when the Pope comes to town? And people answered the question. <laughs> like, seriously. Oh, man, that Bloomberg, he's an asshole. You know, he's really bad. You know, that that guy's a huge bad human being, Bloomberg. Like, stop. It's the dumbest thing. Like, we're actually arguing whether Eli has any value or not. He has no value. 
He has zero value. I mean, maybe Coughlin will take him on as a humanitarian effort down there in Jacksonville, but that's about it. Which brings me to the other topic of how effective is Daniel Jones going to be? And I will go on record right now with you, Mr. Lombardi. I don't think yes, he's going to be good. I don't think he's going to be good this year. I don't think he's going to be good next year. I don't think he's going to be a good starting quarterback in the NFL, period. And I think it's appalling I, the Giants took him so high in the draft. I would have taken Haskins instead. I think he's a backup at best. So if you think all of a sudden he's going to turn on the franchise of the Giants, I think you're mistaken. I think you're going to find some different problems. First of all, let's break this down. So when you when you put a guy in a quarterback and you say Eli's the problem, you basically absolve Janaris Jenkins of his inability to cover anybody. You basically absolve the defense of their inability to play any style of defense, right? And you would basically absolve the rest of the team. This is going to be a challenge because he's going against Todd Bowles, who's done a really good job in Tampa this week. And I think you're right. I think Daniel Jones, the game is going to speed up on Daniel Jones. I can't get the Baylor-Duke game out of my head when I watch Daniel Jones. Like when the game speeds up, can he be effective? Now, will they have certain rhythm throws for him? Yeah, there's no doubt. Will he get the ball out of his hand? No doubt. Will he try to throw the ball up the field? Will his eye level be better than Eli? No doubt. Will he put more points on the board? Who is going to make the plays for him? It's still going to come down to Saquon Barkley. They're going to stop the run, and they're going to force this offensive line to be in a 40-50 pass game. And on the road in Tampa... I think it's problematic. The other thing that I don't like about the Giants and Daniel Jones is going to learn is their defense stinks. They're the slowest defense in the NFL by far. They're the slowest defense in the NFL. And teams, I mean, Buffalo put 28 on them in it and they didn't even, they weren't even working hard at it. They just boom right up the field. And so, you know, they're going to have a hard time stopping anybody. And the only chance they have is if Jameis Winston doesn't recognize that the Giants are wearing white or blue, whatever color they decide, and his team's wearing pewter. You know, like that's the problem. Like every time before a game, I think Jameis Winston should have an eye exam. We are wearing white. They're wearing blue or we're wearing pewter. They're wearing, you know, make sure we, you know, what color are we in today, Jameis? We're in white. Okay, good. You throw it to the team in white, right, Jameis? You got that. Okay. Yeah, he's a turnover machine. There's no doubt about it. But you're right. The Giants is going to be hard sledding all year. Yeah, like here's the test. You know, don't tell me what coverage they're in. Don't tell me what color uniforms are our opponents wearing today, Jameis. Okay, great. Let's go. We can play now. I don't think Daniel Jones is going to be Superman. Speaking of Superman, Cam Newton is day to day with a foot injury. He has yet to account for a touchdown this season. This is this is more jaw-dropping than his horrific outfits he wears after games. Just how far Cam Newton has fallen off. A couple years ago, Mike, <laughs> this guy was an MVP candidate. He could do so much with his legs and with his arm, his leadership, his poise, his, all that none. Now it's like, no, this guy is doing nothing. He's bringing nothing to the table. What's the future of Cam right now? You know, this is a great question, and I think, you, you know, you ha this is an organizational question. This isn't just a week-to-week -week question. There's certain organizations that are sustainable and situational-based. If you mention David Tepper's name to anybody on Wall Street, they hold him in reverence. I mean, he is in reverence. I mean, he is a hedge fund guy who is sharp. He's smart. He's he will act quickly. I was up in Boston speaking to uh, Brad Stevens's symposium, and I met some. I, I met a great guy, Rick Elias from from Red Venture, and he knows David Tepper. And he was like, "No, that guy's really smart. He'll figure everything out." And I think what he'll figure out is he needs to. His organization's going to change, and part of that evolving change is going to be determining on where's Cam's future. I think eventually there's going to be a shift, in, and as the Carolina Panthers change organizationally and methodology of what they're doing, that is going to affect Cam. Because Cam, if Cam can't run, what good is Cam? If Cam's not going to be a pocket passer. So Cam's lost his legs, and he's lost arm strength. 
that's not a real good recipe for success in the NFL. And I think they're smart to not let them. I think they should really have rested them the first eight to ten games of the season. But the problem is you got a coach who's solution-based in Ron Rivera who needs to win to keep his job. And you've got an organization that should be sustainable. There's two different there's two different narratives within one organization, and that's where the general manager, whose job it is to protect the organization's future, should have stepped in and said, "No, no, no, we're going to rest Cam for the first eight weeks. I don't give a shit what the trainers say. I don't care about anything because my job is to protect the franchise of here." I might not be here in two months. I might not be here in a year, but I owe it to the organization to protect it. I would have, I would have made sure that Cam wasn't on the field because he's not healthy. And if he can't run and he can't throw, you know, now what is his future? I think his future is going to be tied to what's the next administration in Carolina. It's interesting when you when you lay it out like that, Mike. It, it makes me think of the parallels with Andrew Luck because, like I said, everyone knows the Colts did not do a good enough job. Whether it was by Ryan Grigson's drafting of you know ignoring offensive linemen, taking care of Luck's blindside, etc., and it's like you cost yourself your most valuable asset because eventually he was like, I'm not I'm not going to do this anymore. Like I'm banged up, I'm hurt, I, I can't do it anymore. So for Cam, you're right. If you are letting your most valuable asset get you know pummeled like a pinata. Eventually, it's like I, I, I want to get out of here, or I'm just my value is now expired. I should have been better than what I was. It's your fault. I mean, look, t t you know, Marty Herney's been running the team. They fired Gettleman. I mean, this offensive line, Gettleman drafted Darrell Williams. Darrell Williams was a is a right tackle, really. Only he's playing left tackle. I mean, you know, and then the right tackle, you know, is the kid they drafted Tyler Tyler Taylor Moten in the second round. They paid a lot of money for the to, to the guard Trey Turner. They paid a lot of money for Paradis, the center. I mean, this is a bad offensive line that was paid. For, that's been paid for. I mean, the one here's how you know whether a team's really good or not is when they pay for something. If the product is good, right? If your weakness is, it's like when we traded Trent Richardson. When I was in, when I was in Cleveland, we traded Trent Richardson. And the reason we traded Trent Richardson is because the trainer, the strength coach, Brad Roll, came to me in the in the summer and said, Trent Richardson's in the greatest shape of his life. He's tremendous. He's the best he's ever been. And then when I watched him play, like he can't play. So if you're telling me this is the best he is and he can't play, I got to get rid of him, right? Yeah. So that's the same thing with the offensive line. If you put money into it and this is who they are, we blew it. Yeah. Like we blew it. Like we're not, we're not hoping for a player. And I think Herney's going to have to take accountability for putting together one of the worst offensive lines in football with money. I mean, this isn't like it's, he's trying to put it together with free agents. This is, they've paid for this. They've paid and they got Greg Little sitting on the bench. That's, that's why this guy's getting the shit kicked out of him. Right. I just always think like in terms of a house, imagine like a valuable piece of art. Like, would you just have it lying around the house? Would you just have it, like, on the island in the kitchen? Like, no, you have it in the most pristine case possible. You have it tucked away. You made sure, like, it's it's protected. No one's ever going to steal it. No one's ever going to touch it. And it's, like, just leaving it, like, garbage. Just leaving Cam Newton or Andrew, like, just out there to be pummeled and beaten up. And it's a shame. Well, because it's funny. You, you know, all, most people can't evaluate offensive linemen. They they, they, they kind of, like, don't understand it. I mean, there's David Andrews, a college, starts four years at Georgia, makes all the line calls. He can't even get drafted. I'm begging him to go. It was us and Dallas. Dallas trying to sign him after the draft. I'm begging him to sign with New England. You know, they got Travis Frederick. Come here. Well, you drafted Shaq Mason. No, 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 not time. We're going to play Shaq Mason a guard. You're going to play center. And he believed me. He believed me. And that's what we were doing. And so, but people don't evaluate offensive linemen very well. It's it's really interesting. It's the one play where they're engaged in every single play. They play 75 plays a game. You can see an offensive lineman on all 75. But here's what happens to most people when they watch offensive line. When the center slides away, Right. And the guards on an island, that's an evaluation play. When the guard slides to, when the center slides to the guard, that's not an evaluation play because he's blocking half a man. And if he gets beat blocking half a man, you got real problems. Big Ben, 
The Steelers got some problems. Roethlisberger done well, no. for the season. And if you've been listening to the GM Shuffle, you heard Mike talk about the Summerson. He thought that Roethlisberger was going to have a big season. Uh, he was going to really, you know, take it personally. The yeah. fact that Antonio Brown crapped all over him. All of a sudden, Big Ben was going to prove he could do it on his own. Now it's the worst case scenario for the Steelers as their quarterback is now out. And listen, Oklahoma State quarterbacks, let's hope Mason Rudolph's better than, uh, you know, Brandon Whedon and other guys who have come out of the, uh, out of Stillwater. But the Steelers, I mean, the season's over, right? I don't know. You know, I liked Rudolph last week. I thought he came in off the bench, and I thought he looked good. Now, here's the problem with most of the Oklahoma State quarterbacks, and this was the problem with Brandon Whedon. First of all, they're seven-on-seven quarterbacks. They stand back there. They hold the ball. They wait for the receiver to be open. They throw it. You can't live like that in the NFL. you got to have rhythm, and you got to have timing. I thought I saw rhythm and timing in Rudolph. I'm a little bit – I think Rudolph was good this summer in the preseason games. I think he's better than we think he is. I really do. And and I, I don't look, I think Pittsburgh made a blunder, a blunder in trading a first round pick for, for Mika Fitzpatrick. And the thing that makes it really strange is is this is funny. If you if this was an NBA trade and they traded for Mika Fitzpatrick, the the, the Steelers would have lottery protected the pick, right? They would have said to Miami, look, we'll give you our first round pick, but if it's in if it's in picks one through ten, you're not getting it. You'll get two twos. And if it isn't, you know, it would, what was Miami going to say? No. I mean, they were, they were trying to dump Fitzpatrick anyway. So the Steelers must think they can win games because they didn't lottery protect the pick. They must think something's better on that team to give up a one that could potentially be in the top 10. That, that to me, that was my first reaction is why didn't you lottery protect it? And then secondly, you must think Rudolph's pretty good because you must obviously think you can keep winning because why wouldn't you give up? Why would you give up that pick? Yeah, that is true. I guess Pittsburgh does see a little bit of talent there. Do you think they have enough around him? Is the Steelers' defense as good as it's been in the past? I mean, obviously, Bell's, Le'Veon Bell's gone. Antonio Brown's gone. Do you think that there's – I mean, Connor was hurt last week. Is there enough to support Rudolph? Because look at the Giants, like you said. The O-line stinks. The receivers aren't very good, so on and so forth. Is there enough around Rudolph to help him uh, acclimate to the NFL? I love the Steelers' defensive front. They're really good. They're dominating. They can, I mean, pressure. I mean, they had like three sacks in the first quarter of the, of the Seahawks game. They were dominating. The problem is is they, they get allow too much free access into routes. Oh, the tight end's coming down the scene. We're playing cover, too. Oh, please walk down the field, you know. Like, they, they're not physical on the receivers coming out in routes. Like, they need to be more physical. They need to be more jamming receivers. You know, this other thing that is one of my pet peeves is people that evaluate other teams' coverages from their couch. Like, I can promise you, A.D., if we sat in a room with five head coaches in the National Football League and make them all defensive coaches, and we started watching tape, and we tried to figure out what coverage a team was playing, we would know generally what the coverage was, but we wouldn't understand all the rules and all the simulation within that happens once the pattern distributes. So when people are sitting on their couch or they're tweeting coverages and this is a stupid play and look, the Steelers are doing this, yeah. it's the most ridiculous thing of all time. I, I had this guy from ESPN. This I don't know. This guy was writing books for ESPN. He was He was an analytical guy, and he wrote this book on how he can evaluate defensive backs. So I flew him out to Oakland. I said, come on out. So I've paid for his ticket. We sat in my office up in, uh, I was with Napa Valley Marriott up there, you know, uh, and so I put the tape on. I said, okay, like, tell me what you're evaluating here. Mm-hmm. About 20 minutes after this, after him watching the tape with me, his ass was back on the fucking car going back. <laughs> okay, that was enough. Like, he had no idea what he was talking about. Like, I'm not wasting my time with your ass. Like, you're going home, right? you know? And I think that's what happens to too many people. They evaluate these coverages, and they really don't know. 
Yeah, I think that, that that's an often an issue. I think for a lot of football fans, they go, oh, yeah, that's cover two, that's this. Like, I mean, that's what we call the segment, yeah. make me smarter. Free access and cover two, as you just said for the Steelers. Now let fans watch out for that and look for that in the Steelers game this weekend. Drew Brees expected to be out for six weeks. Just a brutal injury. I mean, we, we were so fired up for that game. Oh, man. Saints and Rams, and then Brees gets hurt, and the fact that he hit the, which is such a freak accident, right? Hits his thumb on the, you know, Donald's helmet coming forward. And the fact that Brees could not even pick up a ball on the sidelines, when they were saying questionable to return I'm thinking there's no way the guy can't even hold the ball and now he's up for six weeks the Saints season is over now yeah you know this is a scary one for me because I, I mean did Sean Payton was not going to tell Vegas who he's going to start he was determined that nobody's going to know who he's playing Teddy or Taysom Hill you know I said on Monday that I thought or Sunday night after we were doing the pod that you know this gives him a chance to build an offense around Teddy and he wasn't conceding anything towards Teddy at all this is a devastating injury for them. I mean, because look, they play from in front. It, their offense helps their defense. Their offense allows them to get the lead. It allows Dennis Allen to run blitzes. They are really tied to what they do offensively. If they have to play in a game where their defense has to carry them, they're not good enough in the secondary. You know, unless the rush can dominate, they're not good enough in the back end. That'll be really problematic. So I, I don't know what to make of this one. I, I, I have a feeling that, that, that knowing Sean, he's going to have a lot of, Taysom Hill on the field with Bridgewater, and I think Bridgewater's going to play some receiver. I think Taysom Hill's going to play some running back. I think and now both are, and I think they're both are going to play quarterback. I think it's going to be a fun single wing offense to watch on Sunday. Bridgewater was certainly uninspiring on Sunday, but as your point was this, listen, he just got pressed into duty, and Peyton, if you believe, and we all do, he's one of the best offensive minds in football. He and Sean McVay, he'll do his best to get these guys as prepared as possible. Now, are they Drew Brees? No, and you're going to have to have a lot more of a load on the defense, but Bridgewater will be better than he was on Sunday, right? No doubt. He'll be better, and the team will be better. Look, I think the other thing, and this goes back to Rudolph, too, is is when you have a, tan, a chance to prepare your quarterback to get ready for a game, you know, Al Davis used to make every defensive coach sit in a room during the draft and watch every backup quarterback that was in that draft. He wanted, and then he would quiz the defense coordinator on back, on quarterbacks, on the backup quarterback. He wanted you to know who the backup was because if it changed like that, you better know what this guy can and can't do during a game. You don't have time to say, Oh, let me go put the tape on. And so once they know who the backup is and they, they can game plan around what he can do and then you can handle it and it gets a better chance for him to have success. So, it's tougher on the defense. And you know, there's an instinctive thing that goes on. You know, when you're playing a backup quarterback as a head coach, your team has a natural tendency to, to oh, this is going to be a piece of cake game. We're playing Navy this week. It's not going to be that hard. You know, they get the backup in there and then catch you by surprise. Jalen Ramsey, Tyree with Doug Marone. Marone is an A, Marone. He couldn't take any more. <laughs> Ramsey wants out. Where's he going to go, Mike? What kind of a GM goes, yeah, you know, I want that guy who's talented but a gigantic pain in the ass. And he also wants to bring trucks backed up to him. And then there was a report this week that, that two teams offered first-round picks. If two teams offered first-round picks as a general manager in the league, I would say, okay, if you've offered me a one, we're kind of close to getting a deal done here. So let's, let's explore it. And the best thing you can have as a general manager is a deadline, right? Like people don't realize this. If you go to Japan and you have to negotiate a contract with the Japanese, they don't begin negotiating with you until about three hours before you have to go to the airport, right? Because oh, they man. understand they understand deadlines make you negotiate. 
Okay, they understand this. And so Jacksonville had a perfect deadline because a player can only play in one game a week. This isn't baseball. He can't play a single game on Thursday for the on Thursday afternoon for the Mets to get traded to the Yankees at four and then suit up for the Yankees for the night game, right? That 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 doesn't happen in football. So you can only play one game a week. It's if you're David Caldwell or if you're Tom Coughlin and you want to trade this guy and two teams have offered you a one, right? You now have a self-imposed deadline. Look, I got to get this deal done by Thursday by 1 o'clock or whatever, or Wednesday by, by midnight. Now, how interested are you? I'm trading this guy if I don't have that, right? And so now he's going to play today. They've already announced he's going to play. Like, for me, that tells me that they weren't as close to getting a deal as they want. If I were the GM of Jacksonville, you know, look, the reality here is he's a good player. He's a pain in the ass, but he's a really good player. I think the culture in Jacksonville allows him to be somewhat of a jerk. I think if I were the general manager, I think we got to change the culture. I would probably hang on to him without the wrong, without making the right deal to see who he is, see if we can get him turned around. If winning doesn't important to him, I wouldn't just give him away because I have this year with him. I've got 14 more games this year with him, and I have another 16 games next year because I picked up the option. So I got 30 games with this player to truly find out if I change the culture. There's an old saying, and I wrote about this for the Daily Coach today because it applies to this because we're seeing everybody saying, you know, the NBA's, the NFL's becoming like the NBA. The players just demand they want out. No, no, no. That, it ain't like the NBA. Trust me. It's not. It's not at all. What this is more of an indication of is bad cultures within organizations. Like people have this saying that they say people don't leave bad companies. They leave bad managers. That's wrong. People don't leave bad companies. They leave bad culture. And I think this is an indication of it. And I think a lot of the people that want to leave their teams is because the culture's bad. Let's see if Jackson can turn around that culture. Like you said, Ramsey's a terrific player. No one's questioning his talent. And if you can get it when his head screwed on straight, obviously he is definitely valuable. Uh, Melvin Gordon says he's going to play somewhere. What are the chances he plays with the Chargers versus another team? Over the rainbow. Over the rainbow. Somewhere over the rainbow. I mean, this is the dumbest holdout of all sports. You know, and then I got people on Twitter telling me, you know, he's saving his body. Wait a minute. Time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. He's a running back. He's an NFL player, right? How is he saving his body? Oh, oh. so when he got drafted the first round, he should not have played for that five-year contract because he's got to save his body for his next contract? How stupid is this logic, right? Like, how stupid – well, he's got to – he saves him and protects himself. Le'Veon Bell, I, I think I won the negotiation because I didn't get hurt. You know, you lost $14 million. You have insurance. You know, this is what your agent pays you for. You bundle things up. You know, like Melvin Gordon should come in and play. If he has a great year, the system allows you. Because you're a running back, you're afraid you're going to get hurt. You can get hurt. I mean, I think Belichick has the greatest line of all time about this. He says, look, why don't you guys tell me what play he's going to get hurt on, and I'll make sure he's not in there. <laughs> That's a great line, and it's true in this right? case. Yeah, you're right. As a running back, I, maybe part of me is just thinking, listen. How do you know? Right. He's probably thinking, when I get to 30, I'm going to be discarded anyway, so I've got the small window of opportunity. But you're right. The average NFL career is 3.4 years anyways. So, I mean, who knows when those three years are going to be? If it's more or less, who knows? He should have held out when he was a rookie for a new – he should have held out for a rookie for a second contract. He said, look, I'll take this deal, but then I really want another deal right now before I start playing. I want 10 years. Like, how stupid is this, Right. Like he look, how many times have we watched a game where a guy hurts himself with a non-contact injury? Yeah, how, I mean, not playing doesn't ensure you're not going to get hurt. Right. Like this is the dumbest holdout of all time. And 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 here's what they don't understand: who's your competition? Like who is your comp? Like to me, Zeke and this kid were completely different because Zeke controlled everything in Dallas. He was the offense in Dallas. Whereas this kid, they'll just they'll just keep moving the ball. They're dealing with the Spanos family. 
they have no problem. They're, they're, one thing, they are not going to be terrorized, the Spanos family. They've seen more holdouts, whether it's Fred Dean. I mean, I could start in Louis Kelcher. I go back into the 80s. They've, they've used to this stuff. This, this is not new, right? This is not new. That you, you throw a bomb at them, they'll throw a bomb back at you. They're just going to sit there and wait. You're not winning. So if you think you're going to waltz in in week nine and say, okay, I get in a crude season, everything's fine, good luck. Yeah. No question about it. Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes squaring off this Sunday, but it's not the real matchup you've got to be paying attention to. Mike and I will discuss after this break. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, now it's time to talk some games, Mike. Ravens and Chiefs, both 2-0. The numbers are crazy. Jackson and Mahomes have each thrown seven touchdowns and zero interceptions. Jackson leads the NFL 145.2, passer rating Mahomes ranks third, a rating of 136.3. How do you size this one up? This is going to be fun. Uh, you know, last week when you watched the, the Chiefs, you know, they don't score in the first quarter, don't score in the third quarter, don't score in the fourth quarter. They put 28 in the second. I mean, this is one of those last year. It was a really good game. Baltimore's not as good on defense as they were last year. And I, and I think it's going to be problematic for them. Home opener for the Chiefs. They've been on the road for two weeks. And when you look at it, you say, oh, you know, that's six point. The line has moved up to six and a half as this thing goes. You know, for me, I think Baltimore's going to have a hard time staying with them. I really do. I, I like the Chiefs here just because I think they're playing at home, and I think Mahomes has been dynamic. And I think it's going to be it's going to expose a little bit of the weakness which Kyler Murray exposed for Baltimore last week. The problem with Kyler Murray and 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 what Cliff Kingsbury's doing in Arizona, they have no red zone offense. They really AD don't have a red zone offense. They just run their same plays in the red zone. I mean, they run fades in the red zone. That's what they run. They don't have us. And the red zone is about deception. It's about misdirection. That's what teams get successful plays in the red zone, and they really don't have it. I think the Chiefs, if that number stays below seven, I think this is the Chiefs, the Chiefs game to win here. And here's what's interesting. You mentioned the Ravens' offense. They're very dependent upon two guys. So if the Chiefs can take away these guys or negate them, Ravens wide receiver Marquise Brown and tight end Mark Andrews, they've combined for 67%, 66.7 of the team's receiving in yards. So if you neutralize those guys, Mike, that's ball game. Yeah, no doubt. And I, and I, and I look, I think it's a hard play. And running games 
in a crowded state. This is going to be home opener. It's going to be it's going to be really loud in Moscow Square. There, it's going to be very difficult to hear, uh, and that's going to be a problem. And and I don't know if the Ravens. Now, I'm not in love with this Kansas City defense whatsoever, but I do think they'll make enough plays. Spagnola will have enough blitzes. Here's the thing about the Ravens: if you create a negative play with them and they're first and 20, first and 15, then that's a real problem for what they want to do. Seahawks Saints would have been amazing. Unfortunately, now Drew Brees is done, so I feel like Seattle is going to win, especially at home. I mean, God, it would be, I think, a real upset if New Orleans can pull off a win at Seattle. You know, this line opened up at Pickham, and then it moved quickly to four and a half, and then it came right back down to four. And so now, then it went back up to four and a half. And I, and I think this is, you know, one thing about games, I think you have to almost have a Michael Lewis mentality when you're talking about games is, is see where the, see where the money goes. You can either bet early or bet late. You either, you need to go right away when that was a pick 'em, you know, take Seattle. When it wasn't a pick 'em, you got to kind of see where this is going to go and see what happens. I, I think New Orleans will play pretty, I don't think Seattle's defense was where it needs to be. I know they're playing at home. I mean, Cincinnati moved the ball really well on them. I have a feeling New Orleans is going to play good in this game. And I love what Russell Wilson did in Pittsburgh last week, but they still have some trouble protecting the quarterback. They have trouble handling a lot of different things. I think I would be surprised if, if Sean Payton doesn't have his team really ready to play, using a lot of different things, kind of creating some situations which makes Seattle have to react. I know it's a must win for New Orleans because they don't want to start one and two. Uh, and they've lost, you know, they lost Azzalone. They, they lost some players, but without Breeze, and everybody thinks that they're going to let down a little bit. Oh, Seattle. I, I think New Orleans will play better. You mentioned starting middle linebacker Alec Anzalone being placed in the injured reserve. That's the fourth linebacker the Saints have placed in IR since the preseason. So maybe Russell Wilson says, you know what? I'm going over the middle. A lot of crossing routes take advantage of the fact New Orleans middle of their defense is susceptible. Rams at the Browns. Rams offense searching for some rhythm. Tyler Higby, bruised lung. Offensive lineman Austin Blythe, left ankle sprain. Rams beat the Saints 27-9, but a couple of injuries there. Here's what's interesting, Mike, going through the notes here from our producer, Joe. How about Clay Matthews finding new life in Los Angeles? Career low, three and a half sacks last year, despite playing all 16 games. He already has two sacks, one in each game, and looks explosive. And why? You got Wade Phillips as a D coordinator. You know, and I think he's healthy. You know, when I watch him play now, I mean, Fowler and him, to me, jump out of me on the screen. I mean, I, w I watch them, and it just jumps out at me in terms of how, how healthy they look, how good they look, and how hard they're playing. I mean, they really are playing hard, and it's interesting to watch the game. I mean, they their defense last week played their ass off. They kind of they keep they stay after you with intensity, and I don't think their offense has played great so far. But I do think their defense is playing good, and I think their offense is slowly coming along here. Cleveland, look, I mean, Cleveland's unbelievable. They they lead the league in they they lead the league in penalties called against them. They lead the league in penalties accepted against them. There's no real di discipline. I don't think Baker Mayfield's played very well, and I think every time that Baker plays against a really good coordinator like Wade Phillips, I'm always going to take the team. I'm always going to take the team. I mean, the Rams were they started out two and a half point road favorites. And that it went up to three right away. So I'm going to take the Rams here. Broncos at the Packers. Denver's 0-2. Green Bay is 2-0. Broncos fell 24-16 to the Raiders in week one. They lost that crazy last-second field goal to the Bears last week. Vic Fangio's defense is known for uh, pressure and turnovers. He's got Vaughn Miller and 2018 top-five draft pick Bradley Chubb. How do you see those guys faring against Aaron Rodgers, that Packers offense, at home in Lambeau? 
Well, I think the Packers will win the game. I like the points in the Broncos here. I think the field has got to be – You got I think Vic knows how to play against Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's done it twice a year, and he's seen him. So he understands what it's going to take to play against him. He knows what kind of pressure. And I think after two games, you kind of have a sense of where Matt LaFleur's offense is going. And I think there's a complete disconnect between Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. I don't give a shit what's said in the media. You can just see the body language. It's a little bit like when Don Shula used to call running plays for Marino, and Marino would look towards the sideline and just motherfuck the Shula like, no. <laughs> Oh, I'm not calling a run. You know, I'm going to throw this bitch, you know? And so, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's to me, it's like that. I, I don't see this as, I think this offense is in a disconnect. I think Denver's defense started to play much better last week. I worry about taking Flacco. Flacco's Mr. Turnover Machine. But, uh, you know, I, I think this will be a closer game than the seven and a half. The line opened up six and a half. It went right away to seven and a half. I'm going to, as long as it stays over that seven and a half point, I'm taking Denver here. All right, one more game here to talk about. We're also going to do some college as well as open up the mailbag. Steelers and the Niners dominating 41-17 road win over the Bengals. Now you got the Niners trying to go 3-0 for the first time since 1998. Can they do so against the Steelers team without Roethlisberger? As you mentioned earlier, you do like Mason Rudolph. Here's a matchup to watch, by the way. Steelers left tackle Alejandro Villanueva dominated Jadeveon Clowney last week. Been among the best pass protectors in the NFL over the past several seasons. So curious to see what happens there with the O-line of the Steelers against the Niners pass rush. Do you think Sam Frank can go 3-0? and you know, San Fran lost their left tackle, Joe Staley. There's a concern there. I, I like Pittsburgh a lot here. I think San Francisco is going to take them pretty lightly. They're coming off a big road win. They've won. Now they're coming home. Everybody's talking about how they're going to be 3-0. and They're playing a backup quarterback. I think there's going to be an emotional letdown. I think that if the Steelers can get back to what they do best, which is a balanced attack, I think they'll cover this line. This line started out, it was pick them again because nobody knew what Ben was going to do. And then it went, jumped up to six and a half. I'm not sure the Niners are going to dominate any team that comes in with a really good defensive front, especially with their offensive line. I think they'll put pressure on Garoppolo. I really love Pittsburgh here. I don't think Pittsburgh wins, but I do think Pittsburgh covers. And talk about trying to pick from the feeble. 0-2 teams, historically, the numbers say, like, you know, I think it's 8 or 10% end up making the playoffs. So last year, though, both the Texans and the Seahawks did make the playoffs after starting 0-2. You got nine teams here, Mike, 0-2. So which one has the best chance to make the playoffs? Dolphins, not going to happen. Jets, no. Steelers, Bengals, Jaguars, Broncos, Giants, no. Redskins or Panthers? I don't like any of them. I would, <laughs> I, I like Bella and Lana better than both of them. Uh, <laughs> I would say the only one Steelers, maybe the Broncos and the Steelers, the Redskins have flat. You watch tape on the Redskins; they just lay on blocks. People ask me like, "How do you know the Redskins aren't in good shape?" Watch the tape, right? Watch the tape; they're not in very good shape. The Panthers—they're going to play Kyle Allen, I think, for a while. They got to get Cam Newton healthy. So for me, I think it's to me. I would say it's the Bengals and the Broncos. I mean, I'm sorry, the Steelers and the Broncos, and I don't like anybody else. Yeah, I was going to say, I would take the Steelers if I had to, but you know, those are uninspired choices of those nine. When we come back here on the GM Sheffield, we'll talk about which teams are in maintenance mode, which are in improvement mode. What do we mean by that? We'll explain right after this. All right, time now for Joe's question of the week. Producer Joe getting a little mic time. What do we got, Joe? So with all of these backup quarterbacks being thrust into the spotlight in the coming weeks, I'm just wondering who you guys think will pull them a Matt Castle and get a huge contract, or better yet, exceed our expectations. 
Well, I think the one that we talked about earlier is Rudolph. Because at least, you know, at Oklahoma State, he did put up some big numbers, and he's got a strong arm. And you know what? I think he's got a better team around him. As we said earlier with the Giants, Daniel Jones doesn't have a good offensive line, doesn't have weapons, etc. Pittsburgh, we both felt like was going to be a playoff team this year with Big Ben. So without Big Ben, that's negated a little bit, but he's got a def, you know, a better infrastructure around him. Now, as far as a Matt Castle type deal, listen, he's only a rookie. It's going to take some time as far as, you know, those dollars will come. But I think he's got a better chance to make an impact rather than other teams where you say, okay, the Jets got nobody, you know, the Giants. I don't think Daniel Jones is very good and so on and so forth. Mike? Yeah, I'm with you. I think Rudolph, I think the Steelers have sent messages to all of us if we pay attention that they really like Rudolph. They trade Dobbs for a fifth. They didn't seem to have any problem with that. They got a fifth-round pick for Dobbs. They didn't think Dobbs was better than Rudolph. And I think they played Rudolph. And then this week they trade a first-round pick to Miami, knowing that Ben's out for the year. So that tells me they really like this player. Third-round pick. I think they feel like they can build. I think he's the future of the franchise. He could be their next Neil O'Donnell, you know, a kid they draft in the third round that comes in and plays really well. I would say he would be the next best chance for me of getting the big contract. These other guys, you know, Daniel Jones is a rookie. Some of these other guys that are playing, you know, uh, I mean, Luke Falk and some of these teams that have backup quarterbacks, I don't think they're very good. So I'm going to go with Mason Rudolph. And Bridgewater is a guy, Mike, I would have taken a couple of years ago, but obviously injuries curtailed his production. I, I think he's all right. I think he's serviceable, but I don't think he's going to get back to being a great quarterback. If he's successful yeah. this year, it's because Sean Payton puts him in a position to succeed. And as you pointed out, he's not going to be, you know, he's not going to be dominating defenses. That's not going to happen. Right, and then I think he has another year on a contract, so he's not going to get that Matt Castle. He's not going to be able to get there. I, I agree with you. I think there's a there's a there's a ceiling for Teddy. I hope he exceeds it. I hope I'm wrong because he's a tremendous kid, but I do think there's a ceiling. Time to open up the mailbag. As always, you can send us questions uh, the GM Shuffle at gmail dot com. Adam, Mike, ideally every week is used to improve your team. When you have injuries and surprises, you have to focus on maintenance. Around the league, there are some teams who are obviously in maintenance mode, while other teams look great but actually have to do some maintenance on their O-line. Which teams do you think are in maintenance or improvement mode? This is from Mike in San Francisco. Oh, that's a great question. Maintenance mode is like, you know, to me, you have to make, once you go to training camp, you've got 10 moves you've got to make to your season to, to really add players to your team. I mean, look, last week, New England wins. They, they don't even have Marshall Newhouse on their, on their roster. He's in New Orleans. They start, they play him at right tackle. He has to move the left tackle. And then Corey Cunningham comes in, who was on Arizona's team, and he plays right tackle and plays damn well. You know, and he comes in and plays well. I think a team like Houston is, is really, they need, they're in maintenance, they're in a, a maintenance mode. They need to get that offensive line to where it plays the level. You know, they got Titus Howard, their first round pick. They're playing him at left guard. They trade for Tunsil, so they got to get that thing going. I think they're definitely in, in that mode. I think the Chargers, who, who they face off against each other this week, same thing. The Chargers have to get their offensive line. They've got to improve there. They're in improvement mode because that offensive line really isn't very good. So I would say those two teams, to me, that, that might be the best two to look for. The Giants have so many areas to really improve. It would be too hard to talk about. I think what we really focus on, and the other team is, is Minnesota. Minnesota has to get more out of Kirk Cousins. They've got to get improvement from their quarterback, not maintenance. If he doesn't play better, everything's going to fall apart. And that's the same thing with the Bears. I've said this all along. The Bears are the best team in the NFL if they had a quarterback. If they had a quarterback, they don't. Yeah, uh, obviously the Trubisky talk. I, I, by the way, Mike always a great follow on Twitter, M Lombardi NFL. You were tweeting out some great stuff, some of the links you were talking about Trubisky and the fact that, it, you know, the, his head coach doesn't trust him, right? The coordinator doesn't even trust him. So they, they can't even put him in a position to succeed because they don't think he can throw the ball downfield. 
I love the fact we're talking college football here on the GM Shuffle. Notre Dame, number seven team in the country. Of course, last year had a great year for Brian Kelly, taking on number three Georgia, the beast of the SEC East. Uh, last year, the SEC championship game, you feel like it's going to be Alabama-Georgia again, perhaps. But the Irish, they could take down the Bulldogs. How do you size this one up? You know, when you look at the numbers, I think the numbers at 13 and a half and it's growing like left and right. Everybody, you know, everybody sees Notre Dame and they think, wow, this is, you know, this is where it's all headed. Notre Dame with under Brian Kelly is not good when he plays a top 10 team. I think he's one in 13 covering the line. I think this is Georgia's way of sticking their tongue out and saying, Clemson, Alabama, we're here for real. I think Jake Fromm will play well. Notre Dame's not as good on defense as they've been. Offensively, their offensive line's good. But I don't know how much, how well they are at receivers. They struggled against Louisville. I think it's a big time game in a big time environment. I would take, I would lay the points in Georgia and take Georgia. I think Georgia's going to blow them out. Bulldogs always have an excellent running game too with Kirby Smart. He always uh, likes to balance out that offense. They got backs. They got everything, and they got young receivers. I mean, this team's loaded. And and every time you turn around, there's a bat. There's some player from Georgia that's dominating. You're wondering why didn't he go to Georgia? Well, because Georgia's got a lot of good players. That's why they didn't go to Georgia. Yeah, Kirby Smart learned at the the temple of Nick Saban. Yet another Saban assistant who right now has built what appears to be a powerhouse there with Georgia. Another game here, Oregon at Stanford. Your eye right now in the Pac-12. You know, I, I want to see Justin Herbert really play well. I want to see him dominate this game. I think Stanford, when you break them down, they get killed in the secondary. They might be one of the worst secondaries in all of football. They don't cover anybody. They don't play very good defense. I think their numbers ranking where they are in terms of their secondary play is bad. And then they can't really operate in a passing game style anymore. This is a big game for Oregon. Oregon needs to go down to Stanford and dominate. And this is the Phil Knight uh, all modern game. I mean, he went to both schools. So it always means a little bit more to Oregon. I like Oregon and give the points to to Stanford and quickly Titans at the Jaguars I know you're not big on Mariota the line right now Titans at minus two I think they win yeah. the game uh just because I'm not that, not that impressed by the Jaguars and Leonard Fournette Derek Henry carrying the ball tonight AJ Brown maybe makes some plays I'll go with the Titans to win tonight minus two what do you think I, I I like that I also want to say this if I'm Jacksonville I'm trading Leonard Fournette I am on the phone Friday morning and I am going to trade Leonard Fournette because he doesn't fit what we're doing and whatever value he might have. Now, they, he, this is another example of he's in the best shape of his life. Well, if that's the best shape of his life, that ain't good enough. That ain't good enough. And so I would trade him immediately after this game. I would get on the phone, and I would call every team that might need a running back. You know, hey, look, would you want a running back? I mean, call Dog up and see. He, and he's got a running back in Jacobs. But I'm just saying, call any team that, that beat Melvin Gordon for the trade, undersell Fournette, you know, Melvin Gordon wants a first-round pick and a huge contract. So whatever team you know is interested in that, undersell it and see if you can trade Fournette. And I would take whatever I could get Fournette because I don't think he fits what they're doing. There's no way out of a shotgun as the offset back he can be effective. It, he might make a long run here or there, but over time, I'm going to be right on that one. We'll see what happens. As always, check us out the GM Shuffle. We have new podcasts every week. So right now, our schedule is we uh, we tape it late Sunday night, right after the Sunday night or so. Monday morning, you have it on your morning commute. And then every Thursday, so twice a week, here we are. You can always contact us, of course, the GM Shuffle at gmail.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. And honestly, subscribe right now on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate that. Spread the word. And also, rate and review. You can leave a comment right now. Oh, yeah. I love And I love being called an idiot. It's a perfect thing. I mean, you know, I, I went on Chicago Radio this week, and, and, I, and I was trying to be polite about Mitchell you know and people are like you're an idiot you know like look if you want to be a fan that's fine but just watch the game bro watch the game if you think that's good playing again I still think we should have the Appalachian meeting I think we should all get everybody together 
you get all these Mitchell Trubisky fans, fly him in, cover the expense. I'm sure Bernie Sanders will pay for it. He'll pay for anything, right? <laughs> so fly them all in, right? And put on the Patrick Mahomes tape and make all these people watch what a true MVP looks like. This, by the way, a comment from Lascivious T. After you mentioned the Appalachian meeting, I made the mistake of thinking this was a football podcast. Come to find out it's a Sopranos slash Godfather appreciation podcast. Makes me feel guilty for not being Italian. By the way, next time in that case, we'll talk about Ishkas and Fogians and uh, indulge people what you know, those types of Italians are all about. <laughs> and, and Talise. And I will just say in closing this podcast, you owe my client an apology. Ben McAdoo's owed an apology. <laughs>